the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On. Thanks for tuning into the show, and welcome. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a program uh, committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, anything that's on your heart, um, life questions, Bible questions. We'll do the best that we can to answer. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them in to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, You'll have a banner on the top of your screen. This is Call Now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one final time is 340-9585. We don't have anything going on. It's a Tuesday, so I'll get right to the questions. I've got an important one I want to start with. This question comes from Tom in Cedar Park uh, from our email inbox. Uh, Blessings, Pastor Ron, right to the point. This past weekend, we exposed the fact that our 16-year-old son had been drinking beer at a friend's house. Later, we found traces of marijuana in his jacket. He admitted that his friend uses it, but denied that he did so, of course. He also commented that it is everywhere, and I know he's right. We live in a conservative, affluent suburban community north of Austin. The alcohol is bad enough, but drug use here among students is also rampant. Gender confusion here is worse, but that's another topic. Then he says this, and I'm going to go slowly through this because this is such an important thing for for parents to, to, to deal with. And it says, yet adult advocacy of legalization of marijuana is a popular movement. Members of my family are active Christians and openly advocate for its use and legalization to the point that my wife has had to confront them to tone it down in our home. Now we're battling it in our home, and I feel like we have no ammunition or support. The faith community is failing our families in this regard. How are we supposed to tell them no when even their friends from school and church are using it, and their adult cousins are open users? I'm now trying to gauge how to engage with this behavior. We moved our children back home to Texas to avoid the meth disaster we were watching unfold in Oregon, And here we are in the midst of a similar crisis. Aside from prayer and embracing Christ for guidance, I just don't know what to do. My son needs guidance. Uh, The culture seems against us on this, and the church seems to be erecting Asherah poles to hedge their bets. May I have your thoughts? Uh, Thank you for any insight you can provide. Tom, there's so much there that uh, I really don't even know where to begin, but I want to deal with this because it's really important. Um. First, the church um, community, the, the, the faith community, isn't failing families in this regard. 
This isn't a church community issue. These are situations that have to be dealt with by parents in their homes with their children. Now, um, I don't know what kind of church that you go to, Tom, and uh, I don't know how you meant that the faith community is failing families in this regard. This isn't a battle that we can take. Uh, I have no control. If you were coming to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I, I would have no control over what goes on in your home. Um, the other thing that we need to understand is equipping our kids means preparing them for the fact that they're going to be standing alone against the trend of this world. Think about it this way. The world says that these things are okay to do. All of the things you mentioned, including the gender confusion. So are we supposed to let our kids do what everybody else is doing? Now to battle it in your home requires that you and your wife take a stand for Christ. In other words, in my home, these kinds of behaviors will not be tolerated. And I think your son, and I'll talk more about him in a moment, uh, I, I think your son needs a strong parental stand about right and wrong. And it doesn't matter what they want to do. It doesn't matter what other kids are doing. The fact is that your home belongs to Jesus Christ. And because it belongs to Jesus, you're going to only engage in behavior there that honors him. And I could go way off, Tom, on this and talk about, you know, the things that are are, are listened to in the home, the things that are seen in the home, uh, a, a child's uh, unsupervised computer accounts, all of those things. And see, here's the thing. As a parent, we give rules and say this is the way it's going to be. And there's going to be consequences when those rules are broken. And the argument that, well, everybody else is doing it, or now it's there's a battle for legalization here in Texas. None of that matters. Here's a couple of things. I'm as concerned about the drinking as I am the marijuana, in fact. Um, your son admits he was drinking. It sounds like you didn't really believe that the marijuana wasn't his, and probably with good reason not judging your son because I don't know you or I don't know him, certainly. But the idea is that when we begin to sin, to rebel against God, when he begins to rebel against his father and his mother's wishes for him, then there's no end to that rebellion. It'll just keep increasing. And, and to almost approach this like, well, drinking is okay, everybody drinks a little beer, it's not okay for a 16-year-old. And that's where being a strong parent really, really is important. You can tell your son, you may not care about Jesus, but I do. And this is the kind of behavior that's not going to be tolerated in our home. And then your son has a choice to make. Now, a couple of things about your son. At 16, um, if there is too much flexibility in what he can do or what he can't do, um, he's a human, he's flesh, he's going to make the wrong choices. This is also a time when your son, Tom, has to prove who he believes in and what he believes. This is God putting the tree of choice in the garden in front of him. I have a question about that later if I get to it today. And that tree of choice for him is drinking and marijuana. And see, here's the thing. A kid's not a Christian just because he was raised in your home or because he was baptized, or because he answered an altar call at a youth camp. And it's so important as parents, we're realistic with our kids. What I would say to my son, if he did that when, when he was 16 years of age, I would simply tell him, now you have to decide to whom do you belong. Are you in this world? The Bible speaks over and over about being sober, being sober-minded, being not drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit instead. And a real Christian will choose Christ. And kids that just hang around the church, and Tom, this may be hard for you to hear, but this is the time when your son is going to prove who he really is. 
you know, as parents, we send them to church, we raise them on Bible stories. But every one of these kids, at some point, is going to have to make their own choice. Mom and Dad's Jesus isn't enough for them. 16 years of age, he's old enough to develop his own relationship with Jesus Christ. And right now, it sounds as though your son is wrestling with that choice. So the way you help him wrestle with it is simply say, in my home, that behavior is not acceptable. Period. So if I find out that you are drinking with your friends again, or if I find more evidence of marijuana or marijuana use, then there's going to be severe consequences. See, what you're doing by giving him those clear-cut choices is preparing him to go out in the world where he's going to make choices. And when they make the choices as they go away to college, Tom, as I'm sure you're aware, the consequences are much, much more severe. And he's got to be prepared for that. And you've only got, you know, generally speaking, a couple of years to prepare him. I think sometimes, you know, my mom and dad used to say, and we live in a completely different time, well, because I said so is why you can't do it. And that never made much sense to me, but sometimes that's the right answer. My adult children know they can't drink in my home. And both of them drink uh, socially uh, in their own homes. But they know they can't do that in my home. And, and, and they're grown adults. So this is the, the wrestling match that you've got. You, you've got to let your son know that you stand for Jesus no matter what the rest of the world is doing. Let me talk briefly about this advocacy of legalization of marijuana. There was a report out just last week that incidences of psychosis and schizophrenia are on a dramatic increase in teenagers because of the use of marijuana. Now, see, the, the, we're in uncharted territory. The, the marijuana that people smoke now is much more potent than when I was a kid. And while I didn't smoke it, um, getting high during the hippie days of the, the 60s was a normal thing for, for most kids. But it was a completely different level of potency. And now these kids are smoking such powerful drugs, that they're instantly high, which is a violation of the Word of God. And we're going to find a generation of kids with no initiative. We're going to find a generation of kids, as I said, dealing with psychosis and schizophrenia and levels that we never before imagined. And a parent doesn't let his kid risk his brain like that. That's where you've got to be strong. Kid doesn't like you for it. Remember, you're not trying to be his friend. You're trying to be his dad. And here's what I found, Tom. I found that when we raise sons and daughters and they know that, hey, we're not your friend. We're your father. We're your mother. Those are the relationships that get deep and rich as your kids grow up. And you have a lot more time with your son after 18 or after college than you do uh, before. He's going to grow up, and unless Jesus comes back soon, he's going to grow up to live a long time. And after I got saved, I took those kind of positions with my kids, and my kids and I are really, really good friends. They're good men. And they love their dad. They're proud of their dad. But if, if what I believed in wasn't strong enough for me to take a stand for, why would they want anything to do with my Jesus? So that's the, the wrestling match that you're in. And just because it's legal doesn't mean it's approved by God. The other thing that you mentioned, the pressure from, from uh, family members who are advocating for it, those people need to get saved. A Christian simply cannot do that. A real Christian with the Holy Spirit living in him or in her is going to make the decision for Christ. It doesn't mean we're not going to miss some time. But to advocate for a position that is anti-Christ 
identifies who they really are. And there's another case where your wife did the right thing. We're not going to talk about this in this home. Period. Keep your opinions to yourself. These are my children and I'm going to raise them. So it's not a faith community that's failing our families. What we need is kids who are really saved. And you ask, how are we supposed to tell them no when their friends from school and church are using? You tell them that's what people who stand with and for Jesus do. So drunkenness, getting highs, drunkenness, is a sin. And the minute we play nice with sin, Tom, um, our compromise is so obvious, our hypocrisy becomes so apparent to our kids that they're not going to listen to anything that we say. So that's the guidance your son needs, and I don't know what kind of relationship you have with him, but remember, he is a 16-year-old kid capable of anything, and your job is to rein in his behavior. And if he resents you for it, he'll get over it. But if he ends up smoking marijuana on a consistent basis, he may never get over that. This isn't for you, Tom. I'm just going to say this generally for everybody. If my son was at somebody else's home drinking beer, I would be over at that house with the parent asking what in the world is going on here. And, and my son wouldn't go back to that house. I don't know why it is that we've become a culture where the parents are afraid to stand up to the kids. That's what your son, that's what all of our sons and daughters need to see. A mom or a dad who's so committed to their faith in Jesus Christ that they're going to make the right choices. And if the kids make the wrong choices, there's going to have to be consequences. And peer pressure is no excuse for sinning. Tom, I'll be praying for you and your family. Those kind of things are upsetting to me. Let's go to Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, I have some good news for you. I'll take it. Okay. Um, well, my son's you know, called um, the church we go to. They're going to help him out with what he went through. He's five years old. And, good. Uh, and the other thing is uh, this, oh, man, I'm so happy. This past Sunday, you know how we've been praying for my mom to come to church and and to receive the Lord and all that? Mm-hmm. Well, this past Easter Sunday, she came. And they asked if whoever wants to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, he repeat after uh, uh, repeat after me, and then and the pastor mm-hmm. prayed. And... I believe my mom listened and she prayed with her heart. Praise the Lord. Oh, if you don't mind me asking, anyway. Jimmy, how old is your mom? She's 87. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, I'm so amazed that we have a picture, a group picture of us all together. And she didn't even, they didn't even ask her. She said, she just asked my son, hey, can I go to church with y'all? Because I would, we've been praying for our whole family to come back to church, like my daughter and my son, and you know, and then they all came. They came on Palm Sunday, my son and my daughter, and then my mom came on Easter Sunday. All the whole time, except for my wife, she wasn't there because she's in New York right now on a little vacation. She's having a good time, in New York. Well, Jimmy, congratulations for your mom becoming a member of the family. God bless her, and and uh, imagine probably one in ten million new converts to Christ is over the age of 70. So that makes her a very special spiritual lottery winner. That's a wonderful, wonderful report. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it very, very much. See, that's the power of prayer. If we pray, if we believe, if we rightly represent Jesus. Now, a lot of you will recognize Jimmy's voice. He has been a regular caller for quite some time. Uh, and we've seen a lot of changes in Jimmy's life. Now, as Jimmy grows closer to the Lord as his witness 
uh, is more consistent for the Lord than the people in this family uh, are also. They're noticing, and God is going to really, really use that. Jimmy, I'm thrilled for you. Thank you for letting me know. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Angela. She said, just how literally should we read the Genesis account of creation? Angela, that's one of my favorite questions uh, because our faith, what we believe, actually depends on the answer to this question. Now, if we don't read it literally, if there was no Adam and Eve, you know what that means? It means Jesus was a liar. Jesus said, in the beginning, God created the male and female. He created them. The two would become one. Jesus told us that Adam and Eve were real. If, in fact, the Genesis account isn't true literally, then we have no hope for our sins. If the account of the fall, Eve being approached by a serpent, a serpent who spoke, as ridiculous as that sounds to people, if in fact that's not the case, then the whole doctrine of original sin falls apart. If the earth wasn't made in six literal days, everything in it, man included, then we have an account of creation that can't be trusted. And if that can't be trusted, if we just sort of throw that out of our Bibles, then there's nothing in our Bibles that we can trust. And see, I don't think when people consider this question, Angela, I don't think they take it to that extreme. If there's anything in my Bible that isn't true, then it's likely there's a whole bunch of stuff in my Bible that isn't true. And if it's not God's perfect, inherent, infallible word, then we have no standard of living, which means that there's nothing off limits. The call that I just had or the question I just had from uh, Tom. How can we say that smoking marijuana is wrong if we don't have a Bible that says so? Drunkenness, gender confusion, same-sex relationships. But you see, we do have a Bible. And Angela, I think people don't understand that God gave us his word. He honors his word above his name. And he didn't give us a poem. He didn't give us a metaphor. He wasn't speaking in symbols. He was giving us a story. And the story is Jesus' story. It starts with Adam and Eve. I'll go one step farther, Angela. If the first 11 chapters of Genesis aren't literally true, then every major essential doctrine of the Christian faith falls apart. And we're lost in our sins. Or there's just no God and we really did happen to come to reality by a big bang or by a process of evolution or just animals then we're just here we're going to die and then there's no hope but you see that's why he gave us his word that's why Satan has always been attacking the Bible did God really say so Angela I can tell you we, we need to take it exactly literally and yet still that's a choice you have to make I've told the story too many times to repeat it on the show, but that was the one big issue for me. I, I, I had to find out if we could trust the Bible. And until I did, I had no peace. But once I did, then I simply never had any doubts. I've been walking with Jesus for 28 years, and I just have never had a doubt. I, I have an answer for the questions that come in on this program because I know what the Bible says and I know the Bible reveals the heart and the character of Jesus. So that's what we have to decide. Is the Bible literally true? If it's really God's word, 
then we all know instinctively we have to obey it. We can't tear one page out because we don't like it. So we simply say, you're in charge, Jesus. I'm not. So I'm going to do precisely what you tell me to do. When you do it, we will be blessed. When you don't do it, well, then our lives get really, really complicated. So read it exactly literally. And when you do, you're going to find that the Bible sort of weaves together its truth in a direction that you'll never be steered the wrong way. That's how important it is, Angela. Most important question you can find, can you trust your Bible? If you can't, then we have no God. At best, if we can't, we don't have a Bible. At best, we've got a general God out there who's not involved in our lives and we have no idea who he is or what he stands for. Very important, Angela. Thank you for the question. We have 30 minutes left in today's program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. We have 30 minutes left. Here's a question from Charles. He says, I believe in God, but I also think he wants us to figure out our own way to live. What's wrong with that? Charles, all you have to do to figure out what's wrong with that is look around at the world that we live in. Now, this is a question from somebody who doesn't know God. I'm not questioning your salvation, Charles. Believing in him, but you don't know him. Why would a God who loves you leave you alone with you? Think about that. We keep messing up over and over and over. Uh, Read the book of Judges. It's a great book, by the way. But the theme um, that runs throughout the entire book of Judges, it was a time when men did what seemed right in their own eyes. And the reason it's such an important book, Charles, is because we live in that time right now. Look at the world around us. What about the person who says, I'm a Christian, but I'm gay? Or, I believe in marriage, but I should be able to marry who I want. Or I believe in marriage, and if I am unhappy, I can divorce and just get remarried again. You see, that's what happens when we try to figure out our own way to live. Instead of doing what pleases the Lord, and Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. Instead of doing that, when we try to figure our own way to live, we're really, if we're honest, only trying to figure out what pleases us. So what's wrong with it is that we keep messing up. And Charles, I can tell you, your life, as is mine, all we have to do is look at our lives honestly. We'll see, every time that we end up doing what we wanted to do, things got messed up. There was no satisfaction, no joy, no fruit coming from our lives, at least fruit for the Lord. But see, what you're trying to do is say, yeah, I believe in God, I call Him Lord, but... I really want to be in charge of my own life. And that's to live in a way that is uh, in opposition to what God's Word says. Why would we want to believe in a God who doesn't care how we live? Or why would we want to believe in a God who doesn't care about the details of our lives? You know, Charles, if I didn't believe God had a plan for our lives, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Not as a pastor, not on this radio program. People would call in with questions and problems. I'd just say, you know, just figure it out. But again, our lives prove that we can't figure it out. We keep messing it up. And so the God you believe in, Charles, in my opinion, I don't know you, so I'm not judging you. It's not personal. But the God that you believe in is the God you've made up. There's only one place to find out who he is. That's in the word of God. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I have the right to do anything, you say. Then he says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. And verse 24 in 1 Corinthians 10 says this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. It's very important, because unless we're doing that, we're going to mess up. Paul was able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what we ought to be able to do, Charles. And that's not trying to figure our own way out. In fact, it's submitting to the will of God who knows best. Here is a question from Regina. Pastor Ron, what should I read to go deeper in the Bible and what commentaries would you suggest? Regina, this isn't going to be a very satisfying answer. And when I when I say that to people, it's based on responses that I get. People want me to tell them, uh, give them a formula or something how to do. But Regina, what you've got to do is let the power of the Holy Spirit loose in your heart. And the way you do that is just read the Bible. Sit there with Jesus. Get some time. Get a good light and a comfortable chair. Open your Bible and say, Jesus, let's sit together. And I read this. Read it out loud so you can not only hear it uh, or, or see it with your mind, but you can hear it with your ears. Read it like you're reading it to Jesus. Read it slowly enough that you can stop and ponder things when something comes up that you don't understand. Read it consistently. That's the one thing that you need to do to go deep in the Bible is read it consistently. And by that I mean don't jump from passage to passage. Read it in a systematic order. Start at the beginning of a book and don't stop till you get to the end of the book. I don't mean you have to read the whole book before stopping. But find a breaking point and then when you open the Bible the next time, pick it right back up where you left it off. Put yourself in the story. Try to visualize what's going on around you as you're in the story with Jesus. You know, so many times, and um, obviously I think I know the Bible pretty well, but, but there's, there's stories in there. One that has always been my favorite is, is Peter having enough faith to say to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water. And I like to put myself right in the middle of that because I want to know, would I step out of that boat and walk with, walk on the water to Jesus? Or would I be like the 11 who probably were making fun of Peter? You see, if, you, if you're actively engaged in the Word, not only is it living and active, but it, it really hits home with you. So read over and over and over repetitively. Um, this is no exaggeration, Regina, but by the time I was a Christian, two years, I probably read through the Bible five times. I just know I, instinctively, I knew I needed to turn pages. I needed an overall familiarity with it. I think sometimes in our impatience, we read parts of it and we, we well, I don't know what it means, I want to know what it means, so we want somebody to tell us. I had a question on yesterday's program about a study Bible that I'd recommend. I said, don't get a study Bible. Read the Bible. And what you're doing is letting the supernatural Word of God be um, shredded, really, by the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. And then He becomes your teacher. Now, as you read more and more, as you get exposed more and more, then there's certainly nothing wrong with reading commentary. But before you pick out commentaries, you've got to know who is a reliable commentator. And the only way we're going to do that is to, to be discerning, and the only way to be discerning is to let the Holy Spirit write His Word on your brain and on your heart. And then He will protect you from those commentators that aren't good. He'll protect you from false teachers. You'll just know something's not right, and you'll be in the process of being transformed. The Bible says, Paul writing in Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And Tom, if you're listening, that's a great passage for your son. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed, here's how, by the renewing of your mind. And the only place our mind can be renewed is in the word of God. So that's what you need 
to do to go deeper in the Bible. Now, when you've done that, there are some commentaries and commentators that are very reliable. There's a plethora of wonderful resources out there. Let me just give you one uh, commentary series that I think personally is the best commentary series uh, on the New Testament. Um, And I understand that they're starting some Old Testament books as well. Uh, I've not seen those myself yet, but uh, it's the New International Commentary Series. F.F. Bruce, Frank Frank Bruce, is the general editor. And there are different commentators. Gordon Fee, for example, is the commentator for 1 Corinthians. Um, um, just all kinds of really good stuff. But all of the commentators there are solid. They're very thorough. Uh, the commentaries are deep and challenging. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything but they're very, very solid. So it's a new international commentary series, and um, um, while it's not cheap, it is a wonderful investment, and they are reliable. Just remember, don't depend on them until after you've learned what the Bible says. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So Regina, just read the Bible. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Bill has got a question. He says, I know God wants to give us the desires of our heart. So how do we reconcile that when our prayers are for our family members being saved? You know, Phil, a couple of things. God will give you the desires of your heart, but that doesn't mean he's going to give you the things that you're praying for. What it means is, and David said this, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That means when you're delighting in Jesus, the desires that you have in your heart are going to be desires that he's put there. One of those great, great passages we know with confidence that if he hears us, we have what we've asked for. Anything that we pray in the will of God, we're going to get. So what we do is simply pray for his will and not our will to be done. Um, when it comes to this issue with family members, um, I want my family members to be saved, but they have to make the choice. You know, God will do everything except override their free will. You can't do that. It's contradictory to his character. So, Phil, keep praying for him. Keep setting an example of Christ's likeness. Let your joy be evident to them and keep praying for him and God is going to make it very difficult for them to reject him hope that helps let's go to San Antonio and talk with Jacob on line one Jacob thanks for calling you're on the air hey Ron how's it going good Jacob thank you you're welcome yeah you're talking about you know reading the word for yourself and not worrying so much about commentary so I'm wondering what version you recommend because I was an NIV reader and then they redid it and two years ago and I didn't like some of the changes they made, they made to it. Horrible. Um, yeah. Right. And so more, I'm more like an ESV, but I'm wondering if, if you have recommendations for maybe new believers or what you recommend as far as translations go and why you recommend those. And then I'll take that off the air. Okay. Thank you, Jacob. Great, great question. And, and by the way, for everybody in the audience, the 2011 uh, NIV is is a horrible, horrible translation. It was a, um, an attempt by the publisher to, uh, to to make money, to sell Bibles, so they're going to make it gender inclusive. But see, when they do that, it stops being a translation. Uh, and I find it exceptionally awkward. Um, so, so Nick, here's what I would do. I, and you can still find them. They're not easy to find, but you can still find them. I've probably got four or five of them in my library. 1984 versions of the NIV, I think, especially of the New Testament, it is by far the superior translation. Um, whenever I hear people teaching from the New King James, the King James, they say, well, the Greek word means, and then they translate it exactly what the 1984 version of the NIV has. So... Uh, I'm I'm advising people here at the church to really and truly take care of their 1984 versions of the NIV. Uh, Having said that, there's still other good translations. Uh, I tried really hard, Jacob, to get comfortable with the ESV. 
Uh, and I just couldn't do it. Um, again, that doesn't mean I think it's a bad translation. I just personally couldn't get comfortable with it. Uh, the New Living Translation is the one that we got for Paula. Paula wears her Bibles out so much um, that that uh, they're falling apart after a while. So the the translation we just bought her uh, just a few months ago was the the New Living Translation, uh, and and she's uh, doing well with that. I, I do have some some issues with the Old Testament in the New Living Translation. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we need multiple translations around. Uh, I also want to say that, that the people who are depending on electronic Bibles, um, you'll never find a 1984 version of the NIV there um, because they're always constantly updating. In fact, Jacob, uh, on the Bible study program that I'm looking at uh, on my screen, uh, this Bible program is probably 15 years out of date. And I've been blessed with wonderfully gifted computer people. And, and they're having a hard time keeping it together so that I can keep using it. I just don't want to change. But the NLT is a good one. Uh, there are times when the living Bible is absolutely precious. So I'd always have a copy of that around as well. Um, but um, having... If you say, well, I'm not comfortable with the NLT, then then my next choice would be the New King James Version of the Bible. Now, having said that, I want to remind you that I absolutely love the King James. Uh, King James is a Bible that somebody got me when I first got saved, uh, and I devoured it. I think, Jacob, you, you've been listening long enough, you know, you've heard me say I'm visually impaired now. Uh, so there's a times when I'm in the pulpit and, and I can't see my notes at all. Um, and, and my church knows that if, if as I'm going through the scriptures, um, I'm changing the translation, it's King James coming out because that's sort of what's been impressed upon my mind. And, and I can recall it. It's such memorable language. My only objection to the King James is it's very difficult for um, new believers um, to, to really get interested in simply because we don't talk that way anymore. But other than that, um, find yourself an 84 version of the NIV. You can find them online um, and protect it. But uh, the New Living Translation, I'm, I, I, I think, is fine for the New Testament. Uh, and then my, my next choice would be the New King James. So thank you, Jacob. Appreciate the call very, very much. Um. Nick says, Pastor Ron, I'm looking for information on the New Testament documents and their reliability. Do you have any suggestions? I do. You know, and and this is going to sound funny because the title of this book is perfect. It's the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? And it's by F.F. Bruce. Uh, I had it in my library from the very beginning of my walk with Christ. It's not a a huge book. It's a, a paperback uh, it's still in my my library at home. Uh, it's just got such small printing, I can't see it anymore. But F.F. Bruce, um, the New Testament documents, Are They Reliable, is a great, great resource. Uh, there's another book called uh, The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel. Um, uh, and I think it's very readable and it's very helpful. Um, Lee Strobel is very solid in, in the way he presents the evidence. Uh, there is, Nick, a more scholarly book, and by, by that I mean more difficult to read. you really got to dig in. Uh, it's called uh, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And there's a whole section on, on the Bible and, and uh, how we got the documents and the reliability of the documents. So those are uh, the three that I would recommend. If you'd like to start with something a little less difficult, uh, there is a book called uh, Know What You Believe and Why You Believe, uh, two little paperbacks by a, a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E. Um, and I've been uh, suggesting those for many, many years. I was introduced to them in Bible college, and uh, um, I like them, Nick. So I think that's the best way uh, to, to begin your search. But um, you can never go wrong with F.F. Bruce. He is my all-time favorite commentator. Uh, if you want the best commentary on the book of Acts and the best commentary on Romans ever written, in my opinion, he is the guy to go to. 
Uh, and you can find that also, uh, Nick, in the, the, the new International Commentary series that he is the general editor of as well. So I hope that helps you. 340-9585, here is our next question. It comes from Sarah. Uh, how did Adam's sins get forgiven if there was no law and no Jesus? Uh, Sarah, if I understand your question right, um, we know that there was a, a sacrifice offering made for Adam and Eve's sin. Um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Now, obviously, since Jesus hadn't yet come on the scene, uh, all of the Old Testament characters were justified. That's just as if they'd never sinned by faith, by believing in God, which simply means they believed God, and it was credited to them uh, as righteousness. Now, in Adam's case in particular, remember that they would walk in the cool of the garden with God, the glory of God around their unfallen being, uh, and then suddenly sin entered, and uh, we saw them the next time God saying, Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And uh, Adam said, we're over here, and we're hiding, we're, we're naked, and we're ashamed. And God said, you ate the forbidden fruit, didn't you? And, and Adam said, yes. And then the next time we see them, remember the first time they were trying to cover their nakedness, their private parts, literally, with fig leaves? Well, the next time we see them, they're wearing animal skins. So that was a sacrifice. And in my mind, Sarah, that was the most gruesome, heart-wrenching thing ever. Because in, at that moment, death had never entered the world. And for the first time, an animal that Adam had been given dominion over, sort of the animals had a dread of, of mankind, and, and it, would, it would be almost like a pet relationship. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, the animal they cared for, the animal they loved and treasured, had to die. They said the next time we see them, they're wearing animal skins to cover their nakedness. That's the way Adam's sin was forgiven. By the covering, the shedding of blood. The picture, of course, ultimately of Jesus Christ. So Sarah, in the Old Testament, they were saved just like the New Testament by believing God, but their sins were covered by the blood, by the blood of Jesus. Oliver asks, is Jude, verse 20, speaking only about tongues? Uh, let me read the verse, and then we'll talk about it, Oliver. Uh, Jude writes, Jude, by the way, half-brother of Jesus, said, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Oliver, that has nothing whatsoever to do with tongues. Absolutely nothing to do with tongues. To build yourself up in the most holy faith is to grow in the knowledge of God, to trust Him more, and to pray in the Holy Spirit means to pray in the will of God. So this has nothing to do with tongues. Now, I, I know that there are church cultures, especially those that are prone to charismatic excess, who automatically equate praying in the Spirit or praying um, um, uh, in the will of God as praying in tongues, but that's simply not um, defendable. Um, praying in the Holy Spirit is to pray according to the will of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. So it has nothing to do with, with tongues whatsoever. It simply is the same thing as saying, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. So that's uh, a, a pretty easy answer, Oliver. We have three minutes. Let me get a... Here's a question I have from Sean. What is the best way to bring correction to a pastor you don't know personally? Uh, they won't take my phone calls to set up a meeting. Sean, a couple of things. One... Um, if this isn't your pastor, it's not necessary for you to bring correction. It, it just isn't necessary. It, it's it's very... Um, actually, I want to be kind here, Sean, but it's almost arrogant to think that somebody's going to take your call. I, I get people call all the time. They disagree with something that I've said. Um, I, I'm not going to take a, a, a time. I, I'm, I'm really busy, and I, I've got people in the church that I 
take time for. Uh, so somebody wants to correct me, especially somebody who hasn't spent nearly the time in the Bible that I have. Um, again, I'm not. that's not arrogance on my part. It's simply, um, I, if I'm in error, the Holy Spirit will correct me. Um, and to, to call somebody you don't know personally, expect them to take the call, is a little presumptuous. But just remember, God doesn't need you to correct other people. Humble yourself. If you don't like what somebody's teaching, stop listening. Find somebody that you can listen to and be teachable. The other thing, Sean, and I think this is uh, probably the, the most important thing I can tell you in regard to this in our last minute, is uh, this is something you need to talk to your pastor about. You, you need to let him deal with this issue because I think the issue is you. Let him sort of put his arm around you and walk you through the scriptures. And if somebody's on the radio, for example, and you don't agree with them, well, pray for him. I think it's all you need to do. But don't think that you're God's anointed to bring correction. You can hear the music. We're at the end of the program today. Thank you for the calls and thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This has been the Word to Santa for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.